more on congestion. Anne says, Wallace, it took me and team 55 minutes to drive from Devonport to Milford via Lake Road. Oh, Lake, Lake Road. Road. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Lake Road, eh? This journey usually takes 20 minutes. Where are the ferries between Browns Bay, Milford and Takapuna? All right, to this. This is a very interesting announcement, this one. The National New Zealand First Coalition has a new agreement that will see government agencies favour wool over synthetic fibres when picking out carpets. Earlier this year, the former government contracted a US firm to install nylon carpet squares in 800 rural schools at the time, saying it was the most suitable and the most cost-effective auction. The coalition agreement doesn't actually specify that the carpet should be New Zealand-made. Something wool advocates will be keeping this eye on. With us is Tom O'Sullivan, Campaign for Wool NZ Trust General Manager of Advocacy. Kia ora, Tom. Kia ora, guys. How are you? Very well. So, long time coming. Good news from where you're sitting? Look, really exciting news. Um, unfortunately, the New Zealand wool industry has been in um, some pretty tough times, and, and that's really, guys, on the back of, I suppose, globally, consumers have been obsessed a little with plastics over the last few decades, and wool's taken a really back seat. But look, this is just exciting news that the government has acknowledged that, um, I guess, from our perspective, the campaign for wool, it's about walking the talk. We've got a government that's very pro um, um, talking about our you know, our environmental plans and and leading countering um, climate change, this is a real opportunity for the government to not, to, to walk that talk, I guess. What do you think, Nikki? So, I guess wool is as hard-working, as hard-wearing as the synthetic carpets, because that would be the big issue with schools. There's a lot of foot traffic. Oh, look, Look, Nikki, I think there's quite a few perceptions around wool which aren't quite accurate. I think this day and age, with the way carpets are made, they are just as robust as a plastic alternative. But this is about doing the right thing for the environment. And when we speak, we've got such a focus on uh, on the environment and the damage that plastics are doing globally that it just doesn't really sit that well. It's quite contradictory to the government position on those things when they're then specifying, you know, tons and tons of plastics in their in their in their government bill projects. Nick. And my other question, well, my question as a follow-up to that is cost. Um, is that a misconception as well? Look, there is, uh, again, uh, the cost in the, in, the, in the total build project for the flooring, um, not just flooring, this wall can be used in so many other areas in, in, a, um, in the built environment. Look, cost is a factor, but it's not a major factor. And I just think it just sends the really wrong signal to New Zealand farmers. And I think, guys, I just make the point that, you know, in that um, environmental focus that the government has, they're putting a lot of compliance on farmers. So this day and age now, farmers have to tick a lot more boxes, a lot more red tape, environmental plans and all those sorts of things. And farmers, New Zealand farmers have really stepped up in the last few years, and I know because I've been farming myself. So they've done a great job to step up to support the government in that environmental um, uh, focus. And so, so this is a really good opportunity, as I said, to walk the talk and support the great work that New Zealand rural community and sheep farmers are doing. So good news around the world, but here's the deal there, uh, Tom. Uh, carpet uh, should be um, made of wool, but uh, doesn't specify that it would be New Zealand wood. It might be Australian wool you're getting, Tom. <laughs> I noticed that was uh, Winston got questioned on that last night on the news, and he was very dismissive. Look, I think um, without default, default, it will be New Zealand wool. 
New Zealand strong wool that we produce is the best strong wool in the world. It's about 85% of our wool production is strong wool. It, it is the strongest, and it's also the whitest. So it's very clean and white wool, and that's a really great um, attribute for manufacturers when they're dying, and particularly for carpet. So, look, I, I noted that there was a couple of comments around the detail. It wasn't specified New Zealand wool, but I think without default, without without question, it will be New Zealand. And, um, and we'll certainly be watching that very, very closely. Yeah, I bet you will be. Um, quite a bit of our response. From the wool lovers here, Nikki. Um, I've just had wool carpet laid in our home. Lovely to walk on and fire resistant. Do you have carpet in your house? I've got one room and I have got wool carpet because it's bedroom. And I read quite a lot of stuff about the synthetic carpets being full of chemicals that you don't necessarily want okay. to be breathing in while you're asleep. Okay, what about, are, are you a polished wooden floor home, Nick, or a... <laughs> <laughs> uh, with your Cuban heels clonking uh, in the evening, or a nice wool wool carpet. Well, I can report, yes, we do have polished wooden floors, but we do also put down wool, wool carpet. So, um, a nice mixture there. I'm just amazed, actually, when I first heard about this, and this has been an issue that's been long running. I was amazed how much the floor, the international floor, had dropped with wool, because here we live in an era of um, high end fabrics being much loved and yet New Zealand wool not getting the prices I guess guys as I said I come back to the point before uh, one of the things with New Zealand productions we only produce well only about 10% of the product that we produce is fine wool or merino the vast right. majority is strong wool which really has taken a backseat to plastics for a long long time part of that is because it has been very much just focused as a flooring uh, product but nowadays, what I'm seeing in my role um, with the campaign for wolves, we're starting to see so much interest now from commercial businesses who are wanting to move away from petrochemical plastic fibres yeah. to natural. And I think that's becoming more and more of a risk to brands as consumers realise that we can't um, continue to put, plastic, put so much plastic into the, into the environment. So the movement back to natural fibres particularly wool, we're starting to see is really huge. And I just make the point it's not just carpets. As I said, there's there's a whole range of different products now that are coming out um, that can be used in the built environment, whether that be residential homes uh, or commercial office spaces. And I must say, I, I've just built a house here in the Hawke's Bay and we've used wool throughout it. I got the guys at Unitech to do a few sums on it and I think we saved, it was about a, about a one tonne of plastic we saved by putting, wow. wool to, by putting wool throughout the house rather than plastic alternatives. Oh, fair which call, is, Nikki. But there's going to be a lot of animals to produce the wool so i mean you're making the environmental argument is that a bit of a downside but we're going to have more farm animals you need a lot of wool look there's only so much wool produced in the world and before too much longer than the demand the way it's tracking we're going to we're going to fast run out and i guess that's a great sign for new zealand farmers and the fact that as soon as demand outstrips supply we're going to see that price lift and that's exactly what we want to see um i just make the point as far as wool um as a product from a from on farm it not only is a great product for consumers to use but it's also a great it's a haircut for sheep sheep love it they do so much better with their hair cut off and i i think we all feel better when we come out of the salon with a new with a new hairdo you're selling it, Tom, aren't you? You're selling it. Well, people seem to be on your side. Here's one. I love this, but I wish it went beyond carpets. Dock rangers would rather wear wool or wool blend uniforms, but our entire uniform range is made of plastic. There's one for you, Tom, uh, away from the school carpets. But for now, nice to have you on the programme.
Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Uh, that is uh, Campaign for NZ Trust General Manager of Advocacy, Tom O'Sullivan. It's 15 away from 5. Loving and coming to this afternoon. Thanks for um, your feedback, your text, your emails. Uh, and by the way, if you can't catch our NZ panel live, uh, <coughs> a reminder that it is on iHeart, Spotify, um, iTunes, I think it is, and the RNZ app. So there you go. Uh, the panel, RNZ National. Well, New Zealand's space industry generated $1.7 billion in 2018 and 2019, according to consultancy firm Deloitte. That's the latest figures we have. National's promise to introduce a minister for, for space has taken off with Judith Collins stepping into the job. The role is to, quote, promote space and advanced aviation in New Zealand and improve the performance of regulators. So our inaugural Minister for Space, Dr Maria Potza, is the country's only specialised space lawyer. There are others, but um, Dr Potza is very specialised in this area. Dr Potza, kia ora. Welcome to the programme. Kia ora, Wallace and panel. Well, first of all, as a space lawyer, how did you react when you heard what yesterday or the day before that we had a first minister for space? Look, I was extremely excited. Having a dedicated space minister means that we're going to have a single point of accountability for the sector and a dedicated minister to oversee the space portfolio. Look, it signals to our international partners at the international level that Aotearoa is serious about space and its utilisation. It also gives a really strong indication to our local aerospace companies that Aotearoa is a great place for those aerospace companies to undertake opportunities in space from Aotearoa. There's also an argument here that having a dedicated Minister for Space means that we can really now put time and energy into building this sector. And it's going to assist in retaining our competitive advantage as a place for enterprises to come in and undertake that space-related work. So I'm very excited about the fact that we do have a dedicated space minister. Very, very good. Let's go around the panel. Nick? (laughs) Well, you've absolutely sold me, I have to say, (laughs) Um, uh, with that amount of enthusiasm. I mean, it it does make sense, you know, even for someone who just sort of watches satellites go past with, you know, my children from time to time and, and obviously follows um, other developments and and uh, around the country, to me this really seems to be on, you know, on the money. Judith Collins, while in opposition, dedicated uh, quite a bit of time and energy into, into digital innovation, really understanding where technology was going. So I think she's actually, and she's obviously a former lawyer, so it does make sense, I think, that you, you'll have a champion here, Maria, I suspect, and someone that you that will be able to be accountable, but also help you with your, the innovation and, and probably the, the sort of regulation that you, you're going to need at some point. Absolutely agree. I don't know if I 100% understand what the space industry is. We're not sending rockets to the moon here. So what is the space industry doing? What's its potential? Are we just talking about satellites or something more exciting? 
We're talking about all sorts of things, and it's a really, really great question. Not only do you have direct applications that work from space, but you've also got supporting indirect applications that are manufactured to support those direct space industry. Look, here's a question for you. Did you check the weather today or look for um, look for directions yes, as to where yes. you might be going? Well, you were using a space asset to do that. We use space on a daily basis. And I think with someone like Minister Collins, who already has a portfolio looking at defence, digitising government, GCSB, NZSIS, you know, these, are, these portfolios position her incredibly well to deal with space. Not only does she come with a lot of that extensive experience, but she's also able to take really great strategic posture looking at the space sector in Aotearoa and really make it her own and build well, Here's a sector. question for you, Maria. Are space, sure. are space treaties really complex uh, in the way that, say, Antarctic treaties are complex? Really great question. They are incredibly complex. We have five major multilateral space treaties in operation, but they're Cold War treaties. So if you think about the drafting of those treaties, they're sort of stuck in a point in time, which was drafted during the Cold War. Now, where we are now is we're seeing more and more commercial space actors enter space. And so there is a real question here as to whether or not those international treaties are still fit for purpose when looking Looking at our current space-based activities, there's an argument, yes, they are, but we are heavily reliant on domestic, on domestic legal frameworks that nations put in place to reflect their obligations at that international level. Yeah, I guess my other question, Nikki, uh, that might be reflected in this is, do we, do we have to look up into space to you, Maria, when there are so many problems here on Earth. Look, the further up you are, the more you can see. So I'm going to take that point, Wallace, and I'm going to turn it around. If you're, if you're higher up, you can see a lot more. And of course, with the technology we have now, we can see very clearly a lot more. So this is definitely going to help us with scientific development, technology development, and looking at things at a wider horizon. Let's not forget the MRI was, was first utilized in space, and now we use it here on Earth no, all the time. No, didn't know that. Ah, there you there go. You, you don't look so convinced, Nikki. No, I just know quite a lot of people who are worried about the sky. You know, they hate, they hate those Starlink satellites. They feel like our night sky is getting polluted. What do you think of that, Maria? Absolutely legitimate concern. There is real concern here that with further utilisation of space, especially in the low Earth orbit, we are going to see more of obstruction for astronomers observing the night sky. Now, this is where I think Minister Collins can really take a lead on the international stage and look to put in place more norms into sustainability, ensuring that we don't lose that connection, that Mm. ability to observe the night sky, and also our very, very important connection that we have with space. There are so many stories, so many cultural links that we have with space as well. So absolutely legitimate concern, Nikki. Good on you, Maria. This, you're so excited. It's so infectious. <laughs> we're, all, we're all buzzing about our first space minister and lovely to have you on the programme. That's uh, Maria Potts there. I mean, is there something to that, Nick, that, um, you know, we're getting getting to the space, but I can't, it takes me 45 minutes to go from Auckland CBD to Simon Street, and yet we're looking at space.
Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, but the, the, the point that Maria made is we are so reliant on this technology and what happens in that yeah. space as it is, so it's, it would be silly not to have a focus on it. Wallace, weather satellites, how useful and cute military-capable satellites, Star Wars satellites, perhaps not so cute as Tony's uh, view. But there's certainly lots to discuss, isn't there, um, around our first space minister, which, by the way, if you haven't heard, it uh, is Judith Collins. I hope she gets a special suit. Like a Star Trek one. Yeah, and also, what do you have? Do you, is, there a, is there a space office? Do you have space interns and space cadets? All that type of stuff. So much potential. Yeah, mm. so much to talk about, isn't there? Um, seven away from five, the panel, uh, NZ National. The Te'ano toilet fee was flushed last week by the local community board after tourists were seen using the bushes yet again. The toilet had a one dollar charge since it opened in 2010 with the board voting to scrap this charge last week. With us to talk talk about this toilet fee is Fiordland Community Board Chairperson Diane Holmes. Diane, welcome. Thank you, Wallace. It might be a light issue in some parts of the uh, New Zealand, but when it comes to your beautiful pristine area, this is a big deal, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a a situation that's been driving the community potty for years. Uh Yeah. So explain the issue. Why did these toilets have a fee in the first place? So a community board way back in around 2010 when the toilets were built made a decision and it was probably based on information at the time. So I'm not blaming them. And there were models of other pay toilets in New Zealand, the Telpo um, Superloo, for example, that was um, reaping the benefits of of, uh, getting money to pay for itself. But it's a model that over the years, and particularly post-COVID in a society where people carry less cash, has become more and more irrelevant. Yeah, when I first saw this, Nikki, I thought to myself, uh, you want to go to the toilet, a dollar, you're having a laugh. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna find a dollar coin to go to the toilet. And it seems a bit inhospitable to tourists who we are wanting to attract to, you know, spend money to charge them a dollar for a wee. Yeah, that's right. And there's Fair a number point. of Google reviews that would agree with you. Yeah, Nick Leggett. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. I think you should keep charging them. Um, <sighs> and I mean, it's not unheard of overseas. There is a cost, presumably, to. The, the council to, to keep these toilets open. Mm-hmm. Did you think about FPOS sort of in um, card? I know that's a faff, but yeah. yeah. So we did a cost analysis. We got the council to do a cost analysis. It's actually going to save us money. Um, it's going to cost less to run the toilets free without it being manned or womaned um, during the day. So uh, the cost analysis, rat payers have already been paying so much. It's a district asset, so it's across the whole of Southland. We all pay for each other's toilets. But you're really, um, of, the view, you're really of the view, Nick, that it's, uh, when it comes to the toilet, it really is user pays. Well, uh, just because of the cost to the local community, and obviously there's a benefit to have tourists in there, but this is not unheard of overseas, is it? I mean, you go to many countries and you pay to use a public toilet. Yeah. When have uh, you last Europe. used... Europe, absolutely. I've just been to Europe and I, I didn't... A dollar to go to the toilet? toilet. Even in Rome, you don't. Because yeah. like in the olden days, a little lady would give you like a square of loo paper 
when you went to a toilet in Rome. People are saying it's outrageous. Dollars used to use by taking the piss, quote unquote. <laughs> um, I mean, shouldn't it be? Shouldn't it be twenty cents? I don't know. What, what about an honorific, like a twenty cent um, coin or something like that, Diane? Mm. Well, one of our community board members um, recently went to Europe for the Rugby World Cup, and she was uh, able to come back and report that a lot of the toilets that she'd been to previously in Europe, the fees been canned. So. Um, uh, I don't know that that's a popular thing to do in Europe anymore either. Right. And the 20 cents, well, if we're not making ends meet, paying for the, the attendance wages at a dollar, how are we going to make it at 20 cents? And you're also having this problem with people doing al fresco. Yeah, yeah hose, that's which, the concerning <laughs> part. Which is not yes, pleasant. Yes, they were finding creative solutions because they arrive in town now with a full bladder they don't have and a no dollar. Coin. They've got to run around and they've got to try and find a cash flow machine, someone willing to change it into a dollar for them, go back, stand in the queue, um, <clears throat> or take the 12-minute hike up to the other end of town where there is a two-pan toilet. Well, is there a local McDonald's they can go? No, there's no McDonald's in Piano. Oh. We're smaller than Wanaka. Right, okay. Well, look, nice to have you on. Uh, so, all settled? Uh, it's It's gone? Scrapped? Yeah, it's scraps. You can go in there for free now. I've had a number of the locals come into my office today. Pretty excited that they've been into their own toilet for the first time. <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> a free pee. I've had a free pee yeah. and a tickled paint. Yeah, yeah. Big, big response here. Uh, um, Euro, dollar fifty to spend uh, to go to the toilet in Venice. Uh, just been to Munich. One euro to use the toilet. Diane, nice to have you on the program. Um, yeah, so that, and that's us. That's us. A wonderful show. Nick Leggett, kia ora to you. Also to you, Nikki Pellegrino. Uh, I'm Wallace Chappell, and thank you for your extraordinary fruit cake loving feedback, taking you out with the chicks. I'm Wallace Chappell, back tomorrow, 3.45. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint is next.